0: But people ask me a lot, how how do you eat so much? And one, I love food and I enjoy food and I'm always thinking about lunch when I'm eating my pancakes for breakfast. So I yeah. think there's some sort of like <laughs> mental component to it also, but it is because I have been willing to fuel myself and I've also fallen out of the trap of thinking that like you can train yourself to be lean
1: This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road, or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to solpre.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today uh, has been a pro in a lot of different sports. She was a former pro Xterra triathlete and raced number of years being a pro road cyclist. Currently... She's racing gravel cycling professionally. She has her master's degree in exercise physiology. She's the founder and current VP of product and community development at JoJ Bar. Um, and she tells me she's known for consuming a lot of pancakes, so we're gonna have to ask about that. Welcome to the show, Jess Sarah.
0: Hi Jesse, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining me. Um, so we gotta. You, you were telling me briefly about the pancake thing before we got going, but so so the listeners don't miss out. Why why pancakes, I guess. And then, and then I guess you've become somewhat of a, a pancake connoisseur or a pancake consuming legend. Like, what, what happened?
0: Great question. So, if you really want to nerd out on the nutrition component of pancakes, I just think they're far superior to other breakfast foods. <laughs> they, they pack a punch. Uh, I've never eaten a pancake and gone out on a ride and thought, wow, I don't have enough energy. Um, and they also taste really good. So, why not? I decided to make this fun recipe a few years ago called QOM Cakes, which is Queen of the Mountain Cakes, and filmed the recipe and then went out and took a popular gravel QOM down in San Diego County. So the proof is in the Strava QOM. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I'll have to take up the, I don't know if it's an antithesis, but I prefer waffles. So whenever someone's like pancakes, I'm like, clearly it's. It's not the superior breakfast item. Waffles are, they've got divots. They can hold more condiments than pancakes (laughs) are. Pancakes let things slide off the sides. Um, Okay.
0: I I know where your head's at there, but (laughs) pancake sandwiches are so much easier to spread things on, like cream cheese, for example. (laughs) I guess that's fair.
1: You know, although I guess at the same time, I really like crepes and crepes are, you know, there's like nothing there, but you can stuff all the stuff inside of them. So, So maybe it, Maybe I'm less interested in the uh, delivery mechanism as I am the filling. So maybe that's my issue.
0: I'm with you on that because I'm also known for my fillings and cream cheese tops. Cream cheese and maple syrup tops all fillings in my book.
1: Is that so um, we'll we'll dive straight into JoJay. We'll come back to the racing because I've got questions about racing. But is that where I think one of the flavors, if I remember right, uh, is... Uh, pancakes and bacon. Is that—is that accurate?
0: I was just going to bring that up that I love pancakes so much <laughs> that I made one of my energy bars into a flavor called pancakes and bacon. And there's no real bacon in it because that would be weird to have bacon in a bar that <laughs> is wrapped in on a shelf, but we use a vegetarian uh, liquid smoke and real maple syrup. So it creates the illusion of the smoky bacon and the Maple from the pancakes, and it's really good.
1: I have to ask about like the origin of of why it is. So, I I just actually just ordered one of the sample packs before we got on um, because I gotta take gotta take the show way back back episode two. Um, I used to work or had a a registered dietitian work with us, Gloria Stovering, because she came on the podcast like I said way back episode two, and she made recipes for us at Soulprey. And including some like, I'll call them like breakfast bars and that kind of stuff. And I love them. I, I still make them, but my problem is time, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I I eat so many of them, I have to make them constantly. So it, it's always a struggle to try to find like a good just off the shelf item, which is why I ordered them because it looks like they might fit the bill. So it is it that time component that kind of made you go to that where you're like I need to you know in your case maybe make something ahead of time to have or like where did where do things get started
0: you, you bring up a good point because I think everyone tries to make bars in their home kitchen and then at some point it it is the time you have to buy the ingredients do make the bars wrap the bars and And it's like, we have so many good options now. And Mm -hmm. I think I was a little bit ahead of the curve for the real food revolution and the real ingredient revolution, but I was still a home kitchen brand when I started it. And it was exactly what you're saying. I, there wasn't anything on the market that was delicious. I love cookies. I love baked goods. Uh, And so I just wanted to create something that felt homemade and in doing so I sort of reinvented how bars are made and we actually do bake them in a convection oven. So it rather than just like extruding or pressing them and that's what gives them that unique texture. But with that said, I hardly ever bake in my home kitchen anymore because yeah, it is, it's time consuming and uh, you know, then you have to wrap them and keep them fresh and and they kind of satisfy that that need. Mm-hmm. We've actually been uh, practicing he- reheating them in the toaster oven because we are sponsoring a huge ski event called the Great American burka Beaner, and we want to serve them warm out of a toaster oven at the finish. <laughs> and I was thinking you can't do that to a lot of bars and have it taste good, but they're coming out and they're melty and almost with like a little bit of toast on them, like a little bit of crunch it's really good.
1: And as a shameless plug here, um, if you, the listener, want to know about more about Berkey's and you're not in that area or in that life, um, check out episode 101 with Paul Thompson. And uh, he has he's done the Berkey 40 years out of the last 42 years. So uh, we do a deep dive on that. And that was my introduction to it. So when Jess mentioned it before we got going, we kind of started talking about Paul a little bit and the Berkey and just the kind of challenges that such a long race presents and the uniqueness of somebody who's done it for so many years. Um, Jess, I think you were saying this is the first one that you're going to do? Is is that, was that accurate or have I already forgotten that you've already done more?
0: No, you are correct. This is the first. So with our partnership, we received entries and I thought, why not? how, how long can 55 K on classic skis take me? And it turns out it's probably going to be seven hours. So (laughs) definitely thinking of my nutrition strategy, it's my first ever cross-country ski race. I did do, um, some Nordic team stuff when I was little, but it was the way they present it to kids. It's more fun. So this will be an experience and it is so much harder to eat and drink skiing mm-hmm. and practicing that has been a learning experience. You don't remember to drink out of your camelback every three minutes. It freezes. Yeah. Um, you know, if you don't close your bottle right in your fanny pack, it leaks all over the place. Like I've learned so many things in the past few months practicing what I'm going to do. So I'm, I'm hoping that it's like bike racing where there's volunteers at the aid stations who mm-hmm. are handing you things and helping but I'll find out (laughs) in February. I mean,
1: I would, if I'm, I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I would bet on there being volunteers at aid stations. I mean, for a race of that magnitude, it's gotta be, there's gotta be something, somebody. uh, I hope so. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll hope, maybe we'll we'll ask Paul, is is there any help? Um, I would think there's gotta be, there's gotta be some help along the way. Um, But yeah, this the, the fueling component is always huge, especially the longer you go, um, are because like you're, you you know, whatever you're drinking has the tendency to freeze. Are you, are you trying to heat that before you start? Like, how are you keeping it from freezing?
0: Yeah, I've, I have been practicing that and I, I use bottles from a company called Vivo and they're made from stainless steel mm-hmm. and they do keep If I start with hot water in my bottle, it will last for probably about two and a half hours if it's really cold here, which is around zero, negative five to five degrees, somewhere in that range. So that really helps. Otherwise it, yeah, it just freezes right away. And it seems like if you add a little bit of um, drink mix or other items to it, it slows it down a little. I don't know how, if it's the sugar, what, what's in it? but it motivates you to drink, which is a good thing because it's not like you're sweating and if you get behind on nutrition, I've learned that it it's like bonking at altitude almost and then it takes you days to come out of that hole like I'll spend days dehydrated and not feeling well. Mm-hmm. really interesting. I grew up in Whitefish, Montana, and I moved away and I lived in Southern California for seventeen years and coming back this winter and we're having an epic winter i'm not no complaints about our snow but it has been really interesting to just like feel the reaction to doing three hours in really cold temperatures feels like i've done an eight hour huge gravel ride
1: so are you like you're saying you know it's it's hard to remember to drink like i know when i was racing um 70.3s i would Basically, I didn't have timers, but I would basically just look, you know, what does my bike's time say? And just whenever I saw the five minute rollover, 5, 10, 15, whatever it was, that's a reminder to drink. And then maybe if I'm going up like a hard hill or something, right when it rolls over, okay, then get up to the top of the hill, take a breath, and then drink. But just what are you, you know, I'm imagining since I have no idea about skiing, I'm imagining you don't have a nice little like computer telling your wattage that you can stare at. So like, you know, how are you getting the reminder? Like, oh, I need to drink. Otherwise it's going to be a terrible next five hours.
0: I'm trying to, I'm really bad at those reminders. I have a Wahoo rival watch, which you can set like a, a Wahoo computer on your bike mm-hmm. to tell you when to drink. So that would be a good strategy. What's so interesting is that when I coach nutrition elements and training for cycling, a lot of the times the barrier is riders are thinking about other things, you know, because cycling is a little scary or more foreign to them. And they're, they're still learning like, what gear am I in and focusing and trying not to crash or whatever it is, or just reaching down to get a bottle. And I think that skiing has helped me understand that a little bit more because the technical element of it, the skill element, I'm so focused on What am I doing? Trying to be efficient, watching YouTube videos, trying to mimic what I'm seeing. And then before you know it, I'm like, oh yeah, I was supposed to drink 30 minutes ago. And so it's, it's a good cue of how to sort of adjust when I help people on the cycling side. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if anyone out there has tips for skiing and remembering, I would be all ears. I've noticed that I'm the only person I've seen around here ever wearing a camelback. So I don't think that is like a popular (laughs) thing in cross country ski racing, but, um, everyone wears those little hydration packs around their waist with their bottles on their hips. Yeah, exactly.
1: Huh? Do you think it's because of the
0: freezing? I think it's just so much easier because the other thing is that the poles you're locked in with your hands. So you velcro in and you're kind of like, I've watched them on again on YouTube. There's nothing not awkward about it. You're just kind of like, like you don't have opposable thumbs all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you're trying to figure out how to grab things and taking your gloves off. I don't know. I, I am so used to carrying camelback for massively long gravel races. It Mm -hmm. doesn't bother me. I don't think about it on my back. So, I might just go with my own strategy. Maybe I'll start a new trend. But I also use the company that now owns JoJ Bar that I work for. They we own uh, Salt Stick, which is an electrolyte brand, Mm -hmm. and they make a dissolvable, uh, chewable tablet called Fast Chews and you just suck on it like a sweet tart. Yeah. And that has saved me from. Being dehydrated because you just get a couple of those in every thirty minutes, and if you can't drink enough or carry enough, you know it's again like riding. You're riding around. You're stopping at gas stations or water spigots when you're out on the ski trails. There's no gas stations mm-hmm. to grab a coke at, so you have to carry everything with you.
1: Yeah, and that's that's I, I've looked because I'm working on a new sports drink. I've actually looked at all the products they make. It's they make some really um novel solutions that mm-hmm. that's that's the thing that like and, and it doesn't bother me that I'm coming out of sports I'm not doing the same thing that they're doing but just like people in general people fuel differently so it's like it's cool to see people making different products instead of just making like a Gatorade clone or whatever or it's like there, Gatorade's already big Gatorade. Like let them do that thing yeah. and figure out what other people need um, like that. Like one thing I thought about, um, I, I'm sure you've had gels at some point in your life. Um, I imagine a massive number of them. Mm-hmm. I just I dis- dislike the texture of them. I'm always like, why aren't they just a, like more liquidy?
0: So like, yeah. I'd love
1: to make something that's a, like more drinkable instead of you have to also drink with it. I think there's a few companies starting to do that to get on that kind of train. Um, but again, it's just like people fuel differently. So like, like maybe I like gels, but then somebody's going to be like, no, I want you know actual food, so they're going to take the JoJ bars with them, especially for the long stuff. I know when I talk to ultra runners, they seem more prone to say, I want like actual food or like solid food versus I want gels for a whole you know, 10, 12, 15 hour trick. Is that, you know, is that your fueling strategy? Do you use a mix? Like what, what is your, your take on it?
0: Well, it's really interesting that you bring that up because joj it's our roots are in cycling and track mm-hmm. fun. And we recently attended the running event in Austin. And I was a little nervous that Runners wouldn't be interested or retailers in the running world wouldn't be interested in a bar. And it was completely the opposite. It was fun because to them, we are a new brand Mm -hmm. that, that aspect was really fun. And hearing that, that just what you were saying is the trend was really interesting to learn that it, and it's sticking around. It's not just a phase Mm -hmm. in the running world. So, and I'm very similar. I, I don't know if I've trained myself well enough to be able to digest and handle a lot of real food on the bike. But also, I've learned enough about racing where in a short, really hard race, I'm not going to be eating a jo J bar or a yeah. croissant. Like, right. it's not happening. Or in a longer race, you eat your solid food earlier on. Mm-hmm. And then later in the day, when you're struggling, you you go for those more like liquid calories. So my strategy is that uh, as much real food as possible, pancake sandwiches, Joe J bars. Um, I really like the untapped maple packets Mm -hmm. for fuel. Um, I'm sort of the opposite of you that I'm like classic. I prefer goo Mm
1: -hmm. over
0: something that has water in it. And I've tried both. Um, and then I hydrate with, drink mix in my bottles and a variety of different drink mix. And then I add salt stick, uh, as an example, the unbound 200 gravel race mm-hmm. in Kansas, which is a really popular one that took me 13 hours and nine minutes. And on the bike that day, I had 55 salt stick, fast juice. Mm-hmm. My mouth was raw, but it was so worth it. Cause I didn't cramp. I never felt crappy. My stomach was never bloated from trying to drink that many electrolytes down. I had drink mix. I had eight untapped maple syrup packets and I had six JoJ bars. And then I also had like Brazilian cheese bites at my aid station waiting mm-hmm. for me and like bit some savory things. And I think that's just a testament to so many years of training myself to be able to eat that amount of calories—that's a lot of calories to get in, um, and it's—I think it's really hard to do, especially if you have a day where you start off not feeling great or the heat is affecting you, which sometimes you just can't prevent. But yeah, I think my strategy is as much real food as possible at at all times.
1: You—you you said you—you you know, talking about training yourself to eat that much—it made me think about. Um, it's a couple of weeks ago now, but when this comes out, I think it's just the previous episode. Uh, I was speaking with uh Iron Man great Mark Allen, and we were talking about kind of the race with like the top guys right now trying to go you know sub-eight hours or sub-seven hours, or you know, Crazy. whatever it is. And Mark mentioned that he believes the limiting factor is basically going to be fuel, like mm-hmm you know the guys all have to train themselves to maximize their ability to take in fuel but then like there's ultimately going to be a like a biological barrier that just can't can't be crossed that mm-hmm. you, you can't you can your body just won't process anymore and but you mentioning that you know you train yourself to eat that much i think is part of the process and those guys obviously have gone through that um but for you know people new to i'll say long course whatever the discipline is may not necessarily know that there is some training component to it that's why i always mm-hmm. say like you know fuel and training like you're going to fuel in the race so you're used to whatever it is because there is some getting used to like taking in that much fuel and going hard for, for that long. Um, do you remember, I mean, you've been at this for, for a number of years now, but do you remember like that, that time of adaptation where maybe you couldn't stomach quite as much and then how things kind of changed over?
0: For sure. And I've always thought that would be a really interesting peer reviewed study. What you just said, looking at that biological line, mm-hmm. because we, we know we have it with other adaptations, heat, altitude, cold, and, and how we all handle it differently. And I've always been so curious what that is and why I can eat so much. But to your point, my limiting factor when I was racing Xterra was always when I would get on the run, I would have horrible stomach irritation to the point that I would be walking or in the bushes. And that was. One of the reasons I created Joe J bar to have the macronutrient profile that it has, because I wanted to add in more fat. And we all know that now that endurance athletes use fat as fuel at lower levels mm-hmm. and, and that was really helpful. So that was sort of like a learning experience to the other calories that I was taking in, but people ask me a lot, how, how do you eat so much? And one, I love food and I enjoy food. And I'm always thinking about lunch when I'm eating my pancakes for breakfast. So I think there's some sort of like, (laughs) mental component to it also, but it is because I have been willing to fuel myself. And I've also fallen out of the trap of thinking that like, you can train yourself to be lean, like training during training, not eating that aspect that, you know, if I eat less while I'm training, I'm getting leaner. And I've always maximized my calories for pre during and post training and, and I've noticed over the years, how my body has adapted, become stronger and healthier because the timing of it is also so important.
1: Mm -hmm. Is that, does that come all along with, I I assume, I guess, or I should ask, are you self-coached? Do you have a coach that works
0: with you? Now I'm, I've worked with several coaches when I raced on the road and my boyfriend, Sam actually coached me my last year and that was cool because we, we learned that I do better when I go into a race really, really rested and I lose some fitness Mm -hmm. and I had never been able to kind of tap into that prior to it's easier when it could either be a disaster, having your significant other coach you, or it could be really good. And for us, it worked. I don't have a coach now. And the reason being is I'm so focused on Joe and community and helping others experience getting into cycling that my goal is not to be on the podium. I know that I'm not training at that level. I know I can't compete with the awesome women who are racing now and they're just like crushing it. Um, and it would be unfair to think that the way that I train now would, I would be able to compete with them. So, um, for me, I've never really liked the numbers and the data and the coaching behind racing. I've always liked the feeling and the connection of being outside. And I'm a really hard person to coach because if you give me a workout, it's kind of 50, 50, how it goes. If you tell me to go on a hard group ride with a bunch of pro men, you're going to see power numbers off the chart because that's, that's where I thrive like efficiency and scrappiness. And I I'm just, I'm not super strong by the numbers. So yeah, (laughs) I don't like having to put stuff on training peaks and report to a coach, which is probably why I'm not setting my wahoo watch to tell me to drink. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That, you know, that's fair. You know, I
1: would think you, and maybe I'm misreading between the lines. I would think you could find a coach that would be fine. I know everybody wants to quantify the hell out of everything nowadays. Um, But uh, I would think you'd find somebody who could understand and be cool with the like, qualitative side of like, just this is how I feel. This is the environments that I thrive in, like adapting to you as an athlete versus being like, this is my program and you'll follow that. Just, you know what I mean? Like, there, mm-hmm. there are different styles. And I, I know I often preach like, yeah, we've got all these watches and gadgets and everything, but like, and, you know, knowing my power numbers helped me become a better cyclist. That's, that was my weakest discipline in, in triathlon. But despite all that, like, it still comes back to like rate of perceived exertion to me and being comfortable with how you feel. So I think you could find, you'd be able to find somebody that would, that would jive with you on that, you know, that front
0: to be fair, when you have athletes like me, the issue always becomes, are you getting enough recovery? Mm. And if I tell you that I am, sometimes I know that I'm not, cause I think what it comes down to is gravel is a great spot for me because I have an engine and I can go all day long. It's a lot harder to coach someone when you're trying to, tap into those high end zones, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because if you don't see where they're at or how rested they are, how do you get them there? But I agree with you a little bit. And I think that sometimes that like, just like the art of feeling things and the art of, you know, racing and, and learning outside of the numbers is lost a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I know there's other pro athletes that work that way and think that way. And then there's some that it's like Sam loves the numbers and he puts out massive numbers. So of course he loves them. Maybe that's why I don't like them because I see them and I'm like, eh, I don't really like that. So let's, let's do it the other way.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I know like another person who's been on the podcast, Marco Nicoli, he's a huge, huge numbers guy. And he's written some stuff um, for us. Like first person, data like he's collecting data from his athletes and basically wrote these articles about like ground contact time and running and the correlation between them and stuff it's like he's deep into the numbers but despite all that even he who's like the biggest numbers geek i've ever met and he knows that like you got to be able to feel it too so i i just i don't know I, i have this sense that it it seems easier for me running to feel it than like on cycling. I think because the, the cycling portions are longer,
0: mm-hmm. I think it's
1: easier to get that wrong. Um, but it definitely plays a big part. Like when I was swimming or if I do swims, I mean, I'm staring at the bottom of the pool. Like what else do you have to focus on? Like, yeah. how do I, how do I feel? I know, <laughs> But so I don't know. Um, but, but that does make me want to ask. I, I had this on my list to ask you is like, how do you, how do you juggle everything? You know, there's, everybody talks about like hustle culture and you got to be busy all the time. And it seems like you probably are busy. Um, But I also, there's also kind of like some pushback now against that. Um, So how do you keep it all together, I guess?
0: But I get this question a lot. And I think (laughs) I'm evolving how I deal with all of it. Mm -hmm. One thing that I learned last year is that quality over quantity is okay. And to allow myself the ability to start setting boundaries and saying no sometimes, and people understand I'm really hard on myself and I hate saying no. And I want to say yes, but when it starts to affect like your mental and emotional health, you sometimes just have to say no to things. So I've, I've learned that. And I've also learned that I can't do everything in a given week. And some weeks are really, really heavy on the work side. Like this week, my flights were canceled to go mm-hmm. to the production kitchen for JoJ Bar, and we had to send someone else who could get there. And we were up. Overnight on the phone, overseeing the graveyard shift the last two nights. And so, obviously, I'm not sleeping. I'm not going to focus on Berkey training this week. Right. And I'm not going to feel bad about it. So, I've learned that you carve out that time to allow yourself to kind of teeter totter back the other way. And so, next week, I'm taking two PTO days and I'm riding my bike down the coast of California for four days. So, I'll get that time next week to kind of swing back. And it's, it's the same with, I think something we don't talk about a lot with athlete and work balance is the aspect of social and family components and how important that is. And as athletes, you get in that mode where it's like, you're so selfish and you think about your food, your sleeping, your training, and like anybody that gets in the way of like you going to bed at eight (laughs) 30. you're just not accepting that and then you hang out with friends one night and you're like whoa okay I really need this it's healthy and it feels good Mm -hmm. and it's fun um so my point is is that I said on another podcast this year I have a whiteboard I'm actually staring at it right now I like to divide up the board and and make sure that in the quadrants of work Running I also run a cycling event here in Montana um my own training that I include other things like you know remember to send thank you cards for Christmas presents, just like something that small of like a connection to your friends and family. so I think that is my best advice is to allow yourself to be totally crazy and skewed one way as long as you have a plan to bring it back
1: mm-hmm. um. Jess, I know you got another appointment coming up, so I'll wrap things up for you. Um, so, for you, the listener, you know, every season I've got a question I ask all my guests. So you could be the second person to ask this um, after Mark Allen, who kicked us off for the year. Um, <laughs> this this year, um, and, and you're a good. I think you're a good couple with Mark. Maybe you don't have six six Ironman championships, but um, I'm sure you've done plenty of this. Um, it's something I don't think enough people do. And that's why it's my question this year is how do you celebrate your wins?
0: Oh, that is a good question. (laughs) I wish I had some profound celebration other than the (laughs) fact that I really enjoy wine. (laughs) So I like to have a nice glass of wine at the end of the day, but honestly, I, I feel like i I roll my wins into my energy to keep going. And I celebrate that by, um, continuing to, to grow my business and to focus on this privilege that I have of being an athlete and really kind of bringing that back into the community around me. I think that the biggest win in my life is that I've had so much support from sponsors and friends and family and brands and people that were willing to help me race on the road and grow this event. And so what feels really good and celebratory to me is sharing it and this year, we mentored four high school girls who did our event, The Last Best Ride, and watching them get bikes and equipment from my sponsors. And as 15-year-olds complete this amazing event, that to me is a huge a huge celebration. So I think I'm really focused on, yeah, sharing all of the, the good things that have been shared with me.
1: I'm glad that's the question this year. Um, I know I'm terrible at celebrating my wins, which is why a friend suggested that question for me. Um, (laughs) So I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot this year. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, Jess, if people want to see what you're up to, you're racing, JoJ Bar, all that kind of stuff, uh, where where can they do that?
0: So my Instagram is at Jess, Sarah, J-E-S-S-C-E-R-R-A on Facebook at Jess, Sarah, Joe J bar, Instagram is at Joe J bar. Our website is the same Joe We'll have a code in the show notes, um, for 20% off. If you want to head over to Joe Yeah.
1: If you're on YouTube, it'll be in the description. If you're on SoundCloud, iTunes, et cetera, it'll be down, down where all that text is that talks about Jess and what she's up to and all that kind of stuff.
0: Exactly. And if you're interested in learning about our gravel event up in Whitefish, something I didn't really talk about, we are becoming a 501c3. We have a scholarship that we give out for women with academic merit and financial need. Um, And it's a really awesome event up in Whitefish. That's the last best ride. And you can see more on Instagram as well.
1: That's awesome. Jess, thanks for hanging out with me today. Thank you. I appreciate it.